1: Hello, 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 it's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to another episode of the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every single week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance the mission of your nonprofit or your freelance grant writing business. All right, to help me do that today, I have Ms. Teresa Huff, and she is actually another podcast host for Grant Writing Simplified, so you all might listen to her as well. If you don't, be sure to check out her podcast, which is awesome as well. And Teresa is going to talk about the ROI of grant writing, and it's not the return on investment. That's not the ROI she's going to talk about today. She has her own definition of what ROI means in relationship to grant writing. So you are definitely going to want to listen to this today. It's a wonderful episode. And for all of today's show notes, be sure to go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 298. While you're there, go ahead and join our free hub Haven, where you're going to receive an update of the podcast of the week, every single week, along with a stress-free grant writing nugget that I write for you every week. You're going to get something to help your grant writing skills, to help your nonprofit, or to help your freelance grant writing business. So if you're interested in starting or growing a freelance grant writing business, but you don't know about sales, marketing, how to price, how to do it, etc. I give tips every single week that will help you improve your grant writing skills, improve your nonprofit, or start and grow a freelance grant writing business. So you're definitely going to want to get that, and you get free access to our Hub Haven portal. So jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com, click on Get Started, and you can definitely subscribe there. And of course, if you love this podcast, please make sure you subscribe so you receive these episodes right to your podcast. Player. And, of course, I just want to give a shout-out to our sponsor of the week, and that is Bloomerang. They are sponsoring this episode, and they offer donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like the First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved their donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To hear the full story, visit bloomerang.com forward slash podcast, And you can also check them out on our show notes today at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 298. All right, so let's get into it today with Teresa Huff of Grant Writing Simplified. Thank you.
0: Great to be here again. And It's always so fun to talk with you. So thanks for having me back.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure. I was like, you gotta come back on the show. And I was super excited because I was seeing all over social media that You've just done a TED Talks uh, last year, and it's been awesome, the ROI of grant writing, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool, because I get asked that a lot, or at least that's embedded in a lot of questions from nonprofits, like, what's the ROI? Or if you're a freelancer, grant writer, and you're like, how do I tell them what the ROI is? You know what I mean? So I know you're going to kind of talk about it from those two components today. And those of you are like, what's ROI? Return on investment, right? So we always hear that, like, what do I get out of it? You're going to write some grants for me. What what, am I guaranteed a grant? All of those types of things. So I know we're going to dive into those today, but before we get there, tell me what's been going on in your world uh, on your uh, podcast, Grant Writing Simplified. All you podcast listeners, definitely subscribe. Check it out. Let me know, yeah, what's been going on with you? Yeah. Well,
0: it's been a hectic year. It's been busy and fun and a lot of cool things like the TEDx talk that came along. And so that was a great experience. And because of that, now it's like, okay, the outline is there. It's time to write the book. So I'm working towards getting the book written based on framework. And I thought might as well just keep running with it and the whole concept. I'm working on that, building some programs and looking ahead at the year and some other collaborations at complementary. Providers in the space for nonprofits just to build as strong of a network as possible. And like we were talking about earlier, the more people we can connect with in the space, the more we know about what resources are out there. I can't do all the things, but if I know people, then I can certainly make introductions and connections and just give that much more support in the work we're doing. I know nonprofit work and grant writing can seem so isolating sometimes. It's really helpful if you know who to reach out to or who to connect someone that can support at that stage. And sometimes we're trucking along and then we get stuck and it's like, oh no, what do I do? And you don't have anyone to ask. So then it's nice if we do have that network. Continuing to build and grow that. And it's been exciting. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah.
1: And I love that you're writing a book. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> just
0: trying to get it done and get it cranked out and had to kind of pause for a little bit with all the spring break and things going on, but then working on getting that out this year and really excited. So, yeah. I think that'll be a, a fun thing to have behind me. I'll be glad I did it. I keep telling myself that when I'm in the middle of it, oh, it's like yeah. writing a grant. I'll be really glad when it's done. <laughs>
1: yep, much like writing a grant. Exactly. I know when I was working on my book too, it was like, oh my gosh, I just want it done. But it's so happy to have a book out there and, you know, to helping people with writing grants. Right. And I love that your title and your angle on it as well. So that's really awesome. And so let's kind of dig into like, what is the ROI of grant writing like what is kind of your topic because there's so many different ways that could go just from the topic so I know you said you have kind of like this formula that you've built around that so can you tell us about this framework or this formula that you have on this roi Right. Yeah. And I kind of took a
0: different angle with ROI because as you said, we know that ROI is a return on investment. And Mm -hmm. so people are looking at that. But in the nonprofit world, grant funders are looking at it. They're not going to get their investment back when they give Mm -hmm. grant money. So it's more of a return on impact of where can they give this money to make the biggest impact on their audience, the community, whoever they're working with. And so that's what they're looking at is what kind of impact are you going to make? And If you can't show that impact, then they're not going to see you as a very good investment. So it's really more about stabilizing your organization to be able to show that true ROI underneath Mm -hmm. the true investment. And so the real ROI there is the return on impact that they can make. Because ultimately, we're doing this because of the missions, right? We want to make a difference in the world and the work Mm -hmm. around us. And so how can we make the most impact and how can we make a difference on the missions to help nonprofits actually fulfill their work? And so then with the ROI framework, I look at that as a different piece, like the three different pieces we have to have in place. So the R is relevance. Relevance. Mm -hmm. And if the nonprofit, first of all, have they researched their relevant information? Are there gaps in the community that they can fill? Is there data supporting this work? What kind of research is out there showing that, yes, we really need this in our community and here's why, and here's why we should do this work. And then on Mm -hmm. the other side of that, is it relevant to the grant maker? And are they finding grant makers whose mission really aligns with theirs and not just firing off grants left and right, but finding those funders? that are a good fit and looking to make that kind of impact. So Mm -hmm. finding that relevance is really important. And then the O is optimization. Mm -hmm. And I have worked with or talked to a lot of nonprofits that maybe they're brand new, or I'm sure you've talked to some too, or they're almost out of money. We can't pay the bills. What are we going to do? Let's find a grant. It's not a rescue plan. And so really they're kind of a hot mess behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not a good investment from a funder's perspective. And so making sure you're optimized that things are running smoothly, that you have good systems and processes in place, your board is working well as a whole and is trained and understands their role. You have good leadership and people in place. And so is your organization optimized? And mm-hmm. then the I is interacting. Are mm-hmm. you building those authentic, meaningful relationships with people in your community at all levels, the stakeholders, the clients, donors, potential grant makers, not treating them like an ATM machine, but there's a person on the other side of everything we write. So let's build true authentic interactions with those people. And so Mm -hmm. then when you can have two of those three and make some progress, but there's always gonna be something missing and it's just not quite gonna get the momentum that you want. But when you get all three locked in, that's when you can start to see the results and then that's what leads to the return on impact. So Mm -hmm. getting that ROI framework is really key And that comes from years of working with nonprofits and looking back and analyzing, okay, what worked? What didn't work? The ones Mm -hmm. that have been successful with grant funding, what did they all have in common? And that's kind of what it came to the surface. That's what it really came down to was those three things, the relevance, the optimization, and the interactions. And then that's Mm -hmm. what brings that, the other ROI, the return on impact.
1: You're such a grant writer, because I I love that, because you have an acronym for two two acronyms. Right, we have to save space, right? (laughs) I love it. You're like, RY, we turned on impact. And then it's also relevant. That's right. I love it. So, but I, I really do love how you broke that down because you're speaking by language, you know, all of these things that you're saying, yes, this is what I've seen too, you know, nearly two decades into this work. Like, yes, that that's exactly. And I love actually the optimization piece because I feel like that might be one of the ones that's, really left out. You know what I mean? Like the return, yes, we know we need to do data and they need to see gaps, but that usually all also needs to be tightened up and really refined. The eye, yes, they're usually kind of reaching out and they understand they need to interact and in stakeholders and partners, but still needs to be like have time to do that and to make it a priority. But then the optimization, like that's often mess, left out because it is just a hot mess. And it is like, how do you even have time to think about optimizing? Right. In your experience with that, when it's just all over the place, like, do you prioritize like what to kind of put in place first of that ROI or, you know, cause you were also coming at this from a, a strategic point, right? Of strategic kind of lens. So can you kind of right. say like, right, we know we need to focus on all three of these, like someone out there listening or watching is like, yeah, but where do I start?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And similar to you, I believe you do this too. I like to start with a grant readiness audit.
1: And Mm -hmm. I I think
0: you have something very similar in your process too. And then that tells me, okay, how is their ROI to begin with? And is their optimization spot on? Is it a mess or, you know, is their relevance kind of lacking? They're not really tracking data or Mm -hmm. where are the gaps? And so then that helps me know, usually there are some pieces that we could clean up once Mm -hmm. in a while. Like I met with a nonprofit last week that their optimization is running pretty smoothly. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them probably has something to do with it, but a lot of them are former military and retired veterans. So they probably are used to that optimization piece and already working on that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it just really depends, but I'd say that one often does get overlooked because partly People are wearing so many hats and trying to do all the things that they just, (laughs) they're just keeping their heads above water. So really stepping back sometimes, taking a little bit of time to clean up, Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: can really go a long way towards going much more smoothly and even just presenting a more professional appearance, running more like a business that takes themselves seriously instead of a mess behind the scenes. And so the Mm -hmm. more you can present that image that, hey, we take ourselves seriously, would you take us seriously too, then they'll consider you a good investment as well. So Mm -hmm. I think that is an important piece. And I've also found this contradiction. I don't know if you've seen it too, but a lot of times nonprofits are sitting on a gold mine of resources that they don't even realize that maybe it's a connection or some data that they hadn't thought to use or stories or whatever. But at the same time, they think they're more grant ready than they actually are because of maybe something is missing in their ROI. So it's mm-hmm. like this tug of war between those two elements. And that's where I like to step in and look at that strategy to say, okay, what are you overlooking that we should be highlighting? Yeah. And what do we need to shore up to really help you be as well-presented and professional as possible?
1: Right. Oh, I love that because that th- you're absolutely right. A lot of times, like, or they just kind of bank on that one thing, right? They bank on that one relationship. Like, Okay, I already have an agreement, like with the senator. They're going to put a set aside for something, and now we can start our nonprofit. and We're going to get all these grants, and it's kind of like, like you know, we hear that a lot, right? Those kind of like things of like, I, I'm going to, you know, there's grants out there, so I'm going to start a nonprofit so I can get grants. You know, even like that mindset, right? Which right. is like, okay, we got some work to do. Um, exactly. <laughs> and it's not going to be Beginning probably. Hence my
0: TEDx talk because
1: I hear that so so much. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So you're like, okay, let's look at this. But I really like um, you know, looking at that and saying, okay, but sometimes they're sitting on something, like you said, and they just don't even realize it, like yeah, an amazing product they could offer or an amazing service too, right? Maybe they have really talented people that you know are working with them that could offer something and bring in income that way, and it's just kind of really overlooked. So um, those are really good things to to point out too, is are you banking on something exclusively, or are you maybe overlooking something that could actually help you? Right,
0: and those are both common. It happens a lot in both ways.
1: Right. Yeah. But I love this, like, if we bring it back to like your ROI, this acronym of the relevance optimization and interacting, um, when you really look at, so if we were just to focus on relevance, like if we go there, like when you're looking at a nonprofit, what are some things that you could say, okay, here is specifically a couple of things you could do to increase your relevance. You know what I mean? Right away. Like, what would that be? You know, some common things that you see.
0: Sure. Well, a lot of nonprofits think they know, especially in the early stages, they think they know what the community needs and they think they know what they need to provide, but they haven't actually gone out and talked to the people and the recipients of that. They just want to solve this problem their way without seeing how do you need it to be solved. And instead, I'd like to shift that approach and challenge them to look at it more of how can we best serve? How can we serve this population? How can we help this cause or this mission? And so shifting that mindset to collect that data. And part of that is a mix, as you know, from grant writing, a mix of the stories and that personal data, and also looking at okay, what do statistics tell us? What are the trends? What's happening? And so having that mix for grants as well is really important.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the the time you're writing a grant is not the time to start collecting data. Mm-hmm. They need to be collecting it from the get-go of how many people are we having conversations with? How many people came into our office? Or how many meals did we serve? Even if it's 10 meals your first month, whatever, be tracking. And so yeah. then by the time a year or two down the road, if you do start applying for grants, you've got that information already. You're not trying to scramble and figure out <laughs> and yeah. take a best guesstimate. You've got actual counts and numbers. So I think both of those is important. I and then on that. the optimization.
1: Mm-hmm. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Okay, oh
0: you got it. <laughs> <laughs> the optimization piece is looking at, and sometimes it takes an outside perspective, but looking at, okay, what's well, running smoothly here? What's a mess? Where do we feel like we're overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. And are there things that maybe we're making too hard or too clunky and hanging on to because it's how we've always done it, versus right. looking at which things are really gonna move the needle. And what mm-hmm. do we really need to use? And, you know, this isn't something we had talked about, but even with all the tools now coming up with AI and some of the yeah. tech resources available that could help shorten some of the busy work for nonprofits, if they aren't afraid to try those and figure out how to really shorten and optimize that, then it frees up their brains for the more strategic level work and the relationship building that they can't do with a computer or with having AI spit out something, but what can it free up? So then you can focus on meeting with a donor one-on-one or going to visit a grant maker and getting to know them in person and the things that AI can't replace. So I think that optimization piece, really taking a hard look at where can we clean that up and polish that up? And then on the interactions, it's looking again, like I said, at which ones are the most relevant, looking to do your mission. But the biggest piece, again, is being willing to listen, not just trying to go visit and get in front of a grant maker to tell them your story and spew all over them about what you're doing and how much you need the money, but actually, how can we serve you? And what are you trying to do in the community? And how can we best help you do that? because they want to do good work too. They mm-hmm. have a mission of their own. And so if you approach that more from a place of service and listening, as mm-hmm. opposed to forcing your nonprofit in front of them, that's going to go a long way to building those authentic relationships.
1: I love that so much, you know, and that, those are all really good things. And, um, you know, just to touch on too the, the relevance, you know, how you mentioned, like, so many people, and not even just writing grants, but starting nonprofits, they have this, there's a need, I want to fix the need, and I want to go in there, and so many times, I've talked to a lot of people who want to start nonprofits that say, because I want to solve this need, and I'm like, that's fantastic, but have you done any research to see if any other nonprofits are already doing that? Uh No, <laughs> you know, I mean, just because yes. we don't, See it sometimes doesn't mean it's not happening, right? So, exactly. like, we need to like, because I'm like, because, you know, and especially I've, I'm in a smaller community, you know what I mean? So, sometimes it's, you know, it's, a, it's like 170,000 people here on the island. So, it's just big enough where you might miss some things, right? But if you've been here for a while, right. relationships and, and know what's going in the nonprofit space, know what's going on. I'm like, actually, there's like three other nonprofits that are doing very similar things. Now, if you're going to, you know, find out what is still a gap there and you still want to fix that, then that would be something to look at, right? In that way. And that's the same for like, right. too. Like, sometimes, well, just because there's another, like, say, homeless shelter, it doesn't mean there's not maybe a need for it. Maybe there still is a need for another one because their wait list is really long, right? So it's not just right. to say that something exists, there isn't still a need for it, but it is to say what is there, investigate it a little bit more. And is there a gap still that your nonprofit could face? And maybe it wasn't the idea you originally had, right? Because when you look at the research and the data and and find out what's happening, what the real gap is, then you really have something to say, oh, now if I build it, they will come. Because if you build it, a lot of times they're not going to come. Right.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) Wrong thing. And And then you can't find
0: funding and wonder. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so much work to go to all that effort without doing that upfront research to really find out. And like your homeless shelter example, if they are having a wait list, then would it be better to approach them and say, hey, could I work with you to expand to a second location instead of starting a second nonprofit that's competing? Or like, if you only take adults, maybe we need to start one for teens. Where are the gaps and what could we fill there instead of competing and duplicating.
1: Yeah. And then maybe not even, maybe building something that people won't even come to. Right. So I've seen that a time and time again, and it's, oh, it starts it's with passion, it starts with intention. It starts with, you know, a, you know, to really solve a problem, but it's still, like you said, it's coming from kind of this perspective of, I know how to solve a problem without asking the people that you're going to serve, how do solve it? And I've seen it Or even in grants as an example, in a grant, I saw it with a recovery center where they said, okay, we need to put more recovery classes out there for people in recovery, right, with substance abuse. And um, then all of a sudden, but then they did a needs assessment first, thank goodness, of course. They were like, come on, let's figure this out for the, you know, for grant applications, what we really need. And the participants there said, no, we don't need more. We need transportation to get to the existing ones. So it was good for us to then write a grant for a driver, uh, transportation, all of the things, right, to help with that. Mm-hmm. So, and then that we got funding that way because we had data, we had real testimonials, we had like we really knew what problem was, what the issue, the gap, and we we knew how to address it. So if we would have came in just with more recovery classes. We might have had some kind of a you know like general data. Yes, there's a need in general, but if we would have built more classes, would we have met our objectives or outcomes of the grant? Probably not. It would have been more people coming because they still couldn't have gotten (laughs) there, you know what I mean? So The transportation is still the issue. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. digging down deeper. Yeah, they're not always going to come, right? If you're building the wrong thing. So I love that so much. Like you need to, you know, and that's just something really simple. You guys that are out there listening, um, watching, you know, can do if you're looking at, is this really relevant? You know, you can do a simple survey with your beneficiaries. You can start something off, you know, pretty simple, right? Are there other ways that you recommend just to kind of gather that initial data to say, hey, is this the right grant that we're supposed to write?
0: Yeah, sometimes, well, I am a big fan of just having a conversation with the grant maker, with the funder to see, you know, like, do your research first, learn all you can about them, read the guidelines so that you can ask more intelligent questions. But most grant makers, unless it says not to contact them, you know, there may be a few that just can't handle the volume of calls, but most of them are happy to provide feedback and input. And if you listen, and just you know take their input take their advice ask what do they recommend that can help you get some really important clues as to how to shape your application and to keep it within what you need but also what they're looking to do you don't want to bend it so far out of shape that you're just no. chasing money and overstressing your staff and your program can't handle it but if you can find those things that are like, oh, and I may have already told you last time that like one time I called a grant maker about a project for a food pantry and said, okay, we were thinking about asking for food. And she said, you know, we just get so many requests from food pantries. They don't stand out. And the board has just kind of nixed those all across the requests and they just don't do food pantries. She said, they're really looking to make things more efficient. And help people's operations and capacity run more smoothly. So if you had something like that, that would really be of interest to them. So I went back to the director and said, okay, what do you think? And she said, you know, we've always, I've always wished we could get a forklift because these huge semi trucks bring food on pallets and we have to unload them box by box. And our volunteers are mostly senior citizens, put them in the warehouse, then carry them out to the line. She said, if we had a forklift, we could pop the pallet off the truck, bring it in. We could be done in a fraction of the time. And so we applied and we got that grant for the forklift, but we never, ever would have thought to ask for that if I hadn't talked to the funder to get their input and so that was a perfect fit for them it wasn't shifting outside their mission whatsoever it was super helpful and they're probably still using it 10 years later but sometimes that's where you can get those clues that you don't expect yeah and you know you said earlier too that really i see a lot is just people are so passionate about a certain cause which is wonderful but then mm. when they don't take the time to do these things like we're talking about that passion, they get burnt out and it's exhausting and they're spinning their wheels wondering, I really want to help this thing. Why isn't it working? And it's because they haven't stepped back to really do this homework first and to really analyze what is needed. How can we approach it? How can we best serve? And then carrying that out in that way. But First, analyzing, like you said earlier, it may not look quite like what you expected at first, but it might evolve into something better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that really meets the need, right? But I love that example because, same thing, I call funders all the time. And it's like, you know, even if I know like this is a really good fit, I will still call and be like, hey, this is what we're thinking of applying for. Not that they can tell you if it's going to be awarded or not, they cannot. Right. But like you said, they can kind of say, You know, that we do say that on our website that we're prioritizing this, but really, (laughs) we're prioritizing. I've heard that so many times. So don't take what they have on their website or even in the FOA, the funding opportunity announcement or RFP, the request for a proposal, don't take that as God's word. Like, (laughs) dig
0: it deeper. Right.
1: Talk to them. Even their 990s, you're going to get more clues on a 990s than a website. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So, look at their past yeah. awards and yeah. Amounts.
0: Yeah.
1: Figure it out. But talk to them because sometimes too, they'll be like, oh, you know what? That might not be the best fit for this year, but there's another grant program here that's a really good fit, or we're opening up more funding for here, and we're just trying to close this one out to existing people already. So this is a better one. So they can give you the amazing value that you just can't get anywhere else. And you want right, to develop those right. relationships, even right. if you're like, I know this is solid gold. I know this is what they want. Still, talk to them because they might say, "Yeah, that is exactly aligned with you." And all of a sudden, they've had talked to you. They've heard about your program. You know, it just it starts developing relationship, right? So that yeah
0: yeah. And then they may mention you even to the board or the decision making committee of like, "Oh, hey, I talked to them. This is really cool," or just down the road, year after year. When you resubmit, if you reapply later, then they can be like, oh, yeah, this is that one. That was such a cool project. Let's look at what they're doing now. And then sometimes you can get repeat funding.
1: Exactly. And they'll just know you a little bit more like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, about that program and you're going to stick out just that little bit more. Right. So it's about developing the relationship. So. Definitely, this is awesome. So before we close out today, though, a couple more things. One thing, because you touched on it, and I know we didn't like discuss this up in the green room before, but I just kind of, because you kind of called this out. So I want to be like, okay, give us a tip. So in your systems here, in your optimization, you mentioned AI. So let's go ahead and just jump in. What is a quick tip that you are recommending for nonprofits to use when using AI like ChatGPT or the other types of AI that are out there? Well,
0: you know it's a work in progress, right? Because it's so new. But I would say, number one, don't be afraid of it. It's lean right. in and experiment. but we sometimes have to put boundaries around that so we don't go down too many rabbit trails. Yeah. But also, if you do use it, dig deeper and don't just accept the first response it gives you just because you think, okay, it's AI. It must be perfectly written. Maybe it's perfectly written but it sounds like a robot wrote it. So sometimes you have to ask three or four or five, however many layers of questions or revisions, ask it to revise that and say, rewrite that as if I'm talking to a friend or rewrite this, or can you also write that, but add this kind of statistic or data to it and fact check, don't take it at face value. So I would say just, you know, that's probably three or four tips there, but I would say just, experiment but also use your brain like don't just automatically take what it spits out but be
1: strategic about how you use it i love that and you guys should definitely check out the video we have on um i did a behind the scenes on chat gpt on how to write a fundraiser appeal letter and exactly like you said, what we had to do is say, oh, this is beautiful, like you're giving us this statistics, where did you get it from? Cite it. And then it would give us these beautiful citations and we would click on them and guess where most of them led us to? They led us to four or four pages that were not existent any longer, right? So it is that deep dive, especially with us with research, um, to really fact check a lot of what's going on. So, and it'll even tell you, on there, this is not, we cannot say this is 100% accurate. Like they give you warnings, like, you know, so don't, yeah, just make sure like get in there. So I love that though. It can really help generate something that would usually take me like an hour or two to write, you know what I mean? And to have to do like, it can give you the framework, the template, but then you got to go in and you got to still make sure like, is it giving a mission statement that I put my mission statement in there? Is it giving them a right one? Like you, the more information I feel like for chat GPT and other AI that you give it, obviously, the better it's going to write to you. And you know what I mean? That you don't have to rewrite it. So it's getting familiar with it and playing with it. But I love that advice. Like, don't be afraid of it. See what, what it can do. Take a little bit of time and see if it can streamline, you know, some things. Even if you're thinking about projects, like... You know, I want to think about how to build this project. What all would this entail to do this homeless shelter that da. Maybe it can give you a framework that, you know what I mean? Just simple things like that even, right? So yeah, even just
0: to get you started on something and then you can be like, oh, okay. And then you're not starting from a blank page or trying to even come up with it. It's like, okay, I can work with this and tweak it to what we're doing. And yeah, like you said, just putting good information in to begin with because garbage in, garbage out. If you're not giving it good information, it can't work with that to put out something really good, you have to give it good data to begin with. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Such great tips. So I love your ROI. I love that you did a TED Talks on it. And now that you're writing a book on it. So this is fantastic. I know so many people are going to get so much out of this conversation today. So I, and I also know you work directly with nonprofits and you also have some on-demand courses that you offer and some other great things. So tell people where they can find you.
0: Sure. Well, my website is Teresahuff.com and that has all the nonprofit or the way to contact me and the grant writing courses. And then I hang out on LinkedIn quite a bit, Teresa Huff over there. Um, yeah. And then of course, like you mentioned, the Grant Writing Simplified podcast, and it's Grant Writing Simplified on all the channels. I'm on YouTube now and Instagram, LinkedIn, all the places. So yeah, it's been lots of fun. And of course, the TEDx talk is on yeah. YouTube. If you just look up Teresa Huff TEDx it'll pop right up.
1: Right. And we'll add all of those to the show notes as well. So yeah, if you're a nonprofit, if you're looking at having more strategic um, training with Teresa and grant writing all of the great stuff, check it out there. If you're looking at some other resources, definitely go. And once again, Teresa is T-E-R-E-S-A-H-U-F-F. So um, yeah, so definitely that's how it's spelled. And we'll have the, the link in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for coming on the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. Again, Teresa, we'll definitely have to have you back on. Um, I always love connecting with other, other podcasters, and there's not many of us in the Grant Writing Podcasting Network, so this is a lot of fun ways to uh, collaborate with you. So, thank you for your yeah. time. Yeah, and I'll I'll see you soon. words you.
0: I would just encourage nonprofits, you know, really build your ROI, really work on it, and go for it. Like, don't be afraid to just get out there and let people know about the great work you're doing. So, yeah. Thank you. It's always such a blast talking with you. It's an honor to be
1: on your show. All right, guys, you heard it from said, Make sure you have your ROI, and that's just my return on, you know, your income. Here we actually have return on impact, so I love it so much. So, thank you again. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode with Teresa. She is absolutely amazing. I hope you got so much out of what her actual ROI is for grant writing. I am so aligned with how she explains everything. today. So it's super, super great. For all of today's show notes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com. There's 298. Also, to find out more about Teresa. And be sure to subscribe. I know a podcast listener. Subscribe to her podcast, Grant Writing Simplified. And if you love our podcast, please make sure that you subscribe to Grant Rating and Funding as well. And if you leave a review and rating, we read every single review and rating and we absolutely love it. So thank you so much for taking a couple minutes and leaving a review and rating. And it does help other people find the podcast. Colin, I hope you are enjoying everything and staying nice and healthy through the holidays. I'll see you next week on Grant and Funding.